When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome to the Barca Blog Runners podcast. My name is Josh. We are joined by our coworker, our pal, Nate, or Nick. Sorry, not Nate. Nick, how are we doing today? <laughs> hey, I'm doing good, Josh. Good. Um, so uh, we're here on a day of mourning. Um, Barcelona are officially out of the Champions League. I think it's something we uh, we all kind of in our right minds knew was coming uh heading into this match but there was still hope obviously there was hope that benfica wouldn't beat the punching bag of the group in dynamo kiev there was hope that barcelona despite their lackluster form of this year would be able to beat one of the best teams in europe uh and then reality kicked in um before we get your thoughts on just a couple stats uh, joe pointed these out in her um Five things from the from the match. Uh, two goals in the group stage for Barcelona. That's not two goals in one match. That's two goals throughout the entire six matches of the group stage. Uh, they will suffer a twenty million loss as a result of not making it through. Uh, this is the tenth loss the Barcelona have had in the Champions League by three or more goals since two thousand seventeen. And this is a bit of uh, trivia for you. How many coaches have they gone through since two thousand and seventeen, Nick? Yeah, well, four, but if you have Luis Enrique included, then I'm, I'm forgetting what he left. Maybe five. Yep, okay, five. Five Five is the correct answer since 2017. <laughs> um, Xavi's quotes after the match, quote, I'm angry. This is the reality, and it pisses me off. We have to tackle it face on. There's nothing else for it. A new era starts today. We start from zero. Barca's objective is the Champions League, not the Europa League, but our reality now is the Europa League. And we have to go all the way and win it. That's Barca's goal to win every game and win every title. I'm not gonna lie. The uh, usually I don't get too caught up in post game quotes. Uh, that's pretty good, right? Yeah, I think I think Chavi gets it. I mean, at the end of the day, listening to how he responds to things, there are certain things that you can't fake. He's clearly upset. Like he's taking it hard. As I think he's saying, "Listen, I'm the coach. I'm the leader. I'm taking this hard. I'm pissed off." you need to be pissed off too. But the problem is I'm not sure you're as pissed off as I am. So like, how did things change when you look at your players and you say, um, like for the first time, you, you're not taking this um, on the level that you need to be in order to make changes. So I don't know, like you can always, when it comes to Xavi, even in the game yesterday, he takes risks tactically. He's trusting certain players. Um, He knows this is a big game, even leading up to the match, he's saying the right things. We're going to go at them. It's going to be aggressive. It's going to be offensive. Um, we know it's going to be difficult, but we have to take on these challenges. And now going forward, there's more challenges, and he has to know that his players are behind it. So heading into the match yesterday, um, you and I didn't talk going into it. So what were your uh, what were your expectations heading into the match? Anything can happen in a football match, 100%. So, you know, my hope was that they were going to make a go to win the game, 100%. 
And of course, like you could always have luck on your side too. And um, Dynamo Kiev could make a good game against Benfica. So there's always the chance of moving on, especially when you consider what Xavi did on the weekend in the, in the uh, La Liga game to set up his team to really focus on this one, knowing the importance of qualifying for the knockout rounds of the Champions League. So um, I don't know, in my mind, because it's early in Xavi's tenure and with these players and him trying to get you know, different performances out of the same group, um, you still don't really know like how feasible that um, project is, but you go into that match thinking, listen, you have to play with intensity. You have to be aggressive. Um, there's, you know, they're a very strong team, Bayern Munich, maybe the best team in the world, you could even say, or certainly a top three in my mind, but they've been beaten this year by lesser teams. So Barcelona can beat them as well. And that's the expectation going into it. Yeah, he set him up real well for this match. A nice uh, 1-0 loss to Betis over the weekend, which we'll we'll get into the La Liga stuff later on. But, And I I think I 100% agree with you, right? Anything can happen in a football match. But I think even looking at it, um, when I talked to Jake from Bavarian Football Works last week, I think both of us kind of had the opinion that Barcelona were obviously in a better place than the first time these two teams matched up a few months ago. And that... Byron were in a strange place, right? They were without Joshua Kimmich, um, without Goretzko in the midfield. Uh, they were coming off an obviously an emotionally expensive Dear Classicer over the weekend. Uh, and they fielded a great team, obviously. Uh, even when they're injured, they still field a great team. But I, I was excited by Barcelona's team. Like I was excited to have Dembele and Depay up there. I wasn't as excited about Dest being the uh, the third winger up top, um, but I was excited about the midfield, and I thought there was a real chance, especially with no crowd, that uh, Barcelona would be able to compete for at least a draw, maybe. Um, the snow didn't make me feel too good when I tuned into the match and I saw that there was snow pouring down. That did not that did not fill me with happy feelings inside, uh, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I, like you, I, I, I wasn't completely hopeless. Um, I still obviously no, they, and they, were way better, but you know, I thought there was a chance. There was a chance. In fact, you could tell that they entered. Here's my thing about my criticism of the run equipment area that they would show up to games and you had no idea what the actual strategy was or tactics. They very clearly knew what they wanted to do to start that game yesterday. We forget the ending, but the first 10 minutes were very good. It was high pressing intensity. It was desk pressing. And it was um, every. It was all five attacking players pressing the three forwards, the two attacking midfielders. Gavi was all over it. Frankie was all over it. The first ten minutes were excellent. Byron was having trouble playing out of the back, and as a result, Barca was getting attacking opportunities and even some shots on goal. That was fantastic. Um, so you go into this game thinking, if you can keep that up, that's ten minutes of intensity. That's ten minutes of competitive football. But why does it drop off? And I have my own moments in the game where I think that it dropped off. Um, where you kind of saw how fragile this team was and how they weren't able to rebound from it. Um, in my opinion, I think it was all about Alfonso Davies making one run up the left flank and then Araujo having to take the yellow card. And um, at that point in time, it looked like potentially Xavi looked at Dust and said, stop pressing, help um, Araujo and, the, and marking uh, Davies on the left side. So the pressing stopped. And when the pressing stopped, because all of a sudden Dust wasn't pressing on the right side, nobody could do it. And then Byron totally took control of possession, and that was the end of the game. So I'm not sure if that was a little tactical adjustment at that point in time, which was probably not the right thing to do. But they showed in the first 10 minutes, I thought they were winning the game. I thought they looked really good. But why it couldn't continue? 
for a full game, like just maintaining that intensity. Intensity isn't just like um, running around and pressing either. It really is about like something more internal, like this fire that's inside of you, just because you're not running at top speed constantly throughout the game and chasing, that doesn't mean you're not playing with intensity. It means there's a belief there. There's a fast movement of the possession. There's a collective energy that's just missing. Um, And you're definitely not going to be Bayern Munich uh, if you go into a game uh, without that sort of um, belief in yourself that you actually can win the match. And it just looked like they didn't really believe it, especially once the initial um, just momentum from the game were, were off. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the deflated feel that you could like, like that I could feel coming through my TV when that first goal went in, it was just like, not again. Like, that's just that that's just what I felt like the players like the looks on their faces, like the weird music that was coming over the um, the, the yeah, is that Beethoven? yeah, yeah, like the like, what do they what do they do? I, I, I there was just horrible. Like, it, it it sounded like some sort of NBA arena music. Like I, I don't really know what was going on. Um, and the players' faces just looked defeated. And um, the the thing that like got me excited a couple times in the match, but then I realized he was the only one doing some. And I Des did have a few good runs before he got pulled back. But like the long balls to Dembele, I still get excited for, and I still think like, yeah, maybe he could go one on two here. And he had one shot. I think it was in the about midway through the first half that he hit the side netting and it wasn't even really that close, but just like the, the run and the firepower from his foot still got me excited. And then I looked around him and I realized there was no one really up to match his, I guess, downfield intensity. Like it seemed like every time he was in some, one of those situations, he was by himself and there wasn't Depay next to him or something like that. And mm-hmm. I think, I mean, like looking at the stats, like Barcelona, somehow had 47% of the possession. Like they weren't dominated possession wise. Like their pass accuracy was good. Uh, they had seven shots. Just the problem was two of them were on target. <laughs> and usually if you get two shots on target against uh, Manuel Neuer, you're not, you're probably not going to capitalize on many of them. Um, but w- was there something besides, um, I guess just, was there something in general that excited you about Barcelona in this match? Even, you know, not looking at exciting in terms of like, oh, they can win this game, but just that excited you just in the moment. Given the, the lineup, I actually think Travi chose perfect lineup, given all the players that are at his disposal. I was pretty excited in general to see that. I was a little bit um, confused about with the with the three um, center backs, if they were going to play three men in the back, but in the end, it looked like where I was just playing as the fullback to contain Davies. So um I was also kind of I was excited to see Gavi go back into the midfield. I think that's where he belongs. And when you saw him there talking about the pressing again, he did a really good job from that central role, getting up and forward with Frankie. I think him and Frankie, uh, I'll tell you who did not excite me was Busquets, but that's like the opposite question right there. We can probably go into later because it's in matches like these where you just see like what a problem that is. Um, and Dest, I think he definitely deserves some criticism, but I'm actually excited to see him playing. I think he needs Chavi and a good coach to get the best out of him to motivate him and to give him like permission to be aggressive offensively because that's where he's going to contribute the most. And seeing that with uh, Memphis, I thought, uh, you know, there's a lot of potential up there in the attack. You swap out Dest for Ansifati eventually, and you're starting to see that uh, this is a, an attacking trio that can do some damage. And against a team like Bayern, that excited me because, because they like to possess. That means their defense is going to play a high line. That actually creates space for Dembélé to do what he wants to do, which is to get in behind. Um, so I don't know. I would have liked to see Dembele involved a little bit more. You could say, is he better from the right side? Could we have gotten a little bit more from him from over there? 
I think he did the best that he could, but you're right. When he gets up the field, this is kind of one of the new eternal problems for Barcelona. There's no targets in the box. Nobody keeps up. So, you know, you can't really expect him to run the whole field and score. You'd like for him to have a few options. I think that needs to be fixed. But generally speaking, I mean, Jordi Alba, he was clearly injured going into this game. So that kind of maybe would have been better for Dembele on the left side too, if he was fully fit and contributing the whole time. He could have had overlapping and underlapping runs, even more dynamic, less predictable. So I still think there's pieces there, but um, it's not just, it's not as much the personnel to me as it is uh, why they can't sustain these, like whatever their tactical, uh, whatever the tactics are going into the game, why they can't sustain for the full match. And to me, it's a mystery because it really seems like there's one moment or one thing that happens that triggers them mentally and then they fall apart. So the, the way you phrased that last like 30 seconds kind of leads perfectly into what I wanted to ask you about next. And that was uh, Tomas Mueller's quotes uh, where he said, I think Barca can't cope with the intensity. Technically, they have it all. They are great players tactically and technically, but they can't cope with the intensity in top football. Do you think that is perhaps the answer or do you think he's just kind of happy <laughs> totally and i think it goes back to like the, the problem with these sacred cows these players who have been here for the last 10 12 years is that what they forget i think under pep cordiola is there was intensity it was the same players with not physical profiles you know Busquets is really the center of that right now but they were able chavi he was on the field was chavi a player who's going to go in and make these huge tackles and someone who is going to you know set the uh, example physically no, but he was super intense. That was a player, and yes, a super intense, super focused. By you know how sharp your the passing is, how fast it is, how fast it's moving. It requires concentration. I think concentration and intensity and just being engaged are one hundred percent connected to each other. And you can almost see these guys on the field. What Mueller was saying was like they can't cope with the intensity. There's different ways of displaying that. In this case, I think when they saw Bayern's intensity. Like they couldn't match it. They almost got afraid of it. And I think that's the problem right there. They kind of doubt themselves. Byron's way of playing intense would be different than what Barcelona can do. But at the end of the day, intensity is competitiveness. Like the feeling that you're going to go out there, you're going to play hard. You are going to like, you're going to die for the shirt if you have to on the field. And that's not really something that you can do alone. It's something that you need 11 players doing together. So if one player drops off and then another, and then there's holes and cracks forming within the, the course of a game, it becomes like a contagion and then you can just see the entire team fall apart. But I thought that quote was so honest and so spot on, but how you address it is kind of the the big question right now. Um, This is kind of an open-ended question. So like, I guess, take it as you take it as you will. What does crashing out of the champions league in this fashion do for Barcelona's image? I think the image has already looked so bad the last two years that it's been kind of a slow, gradual um, just process to get to this point. I think the image has already been damaged. I don't think anybody is, is surprised. Um, you just have to deal with it. I mean, look at Arsenal. They're dealing with their image problem now. Look at AC Milan. I mean, at least I look what AC Milan is doing now because at least they're playing attractive like football. Like They're coming out. They're very interesting to watch. They're very energetic and young, and that's fun. But, yeah, the image is already damaged playing in the, in the Europa League. But, you know, things happen. You're going to go through, through bad times as a club. Um, Maybe like PK said earlier, a well-run club like Bayern Munich will never this will never happen to because they're just too well-run. Uh, but it is Did what PK it is. Say that? And yeah, that was his like quote earlier this week, leading up to the match because he wants to be the future president. I think it's a part of his campaign. He's right. He said, "Listen, 
And I've actually, I have a friend from Germany who's talked about this all the time. He said, it's not just about like Barcelona. It's the way that German clubs in general are run and how it's all about like being financially solvent and being responsible, um, which is why certain clubs like Dortmund have always been seller clubs. Um, and then in Spain in general, you have these clubs that are going bankrupt and they're being bought up by foreigners because they're just so poorly run. I think Sevilla might be the exception to that. They're a very interesting club, the way that they, they go about things to say where they are consistently. But that's what Pique said, and he's right. So um, Laporta has a big task in front of him now, too. Uh, but the image is gone. It, it, you have to only go forward right now. And, it, and the truth is it could get even worse before it gets better. We're not on top of things. So before this match, uh, when I I didn't get a chance to watch the Betis match over the weekend, but I got the I got the little notification that the match was over and that they had lost, and I'm sure other people have had this realization sooner than I had, right? But it really hit me, um, that wow, like they're probably going to lose to Bayern Munich this week and be out of this year's Champions League, and right now they uh, are sitting. Let's see, where are where are they sitting in La Liga? They are seventh, and they are six points off uh, fourth place. And there's a real chance that this was the last match we see Barcelona in the Champions League for the next year and a half. Um, and that kind of transitions into what I wanted to talk about with La Liga. Uh, where are you feeling? What's your confidence level about Barcelona's chances to qualify for the Champions League and get top four in La Liga this year? I think they're equally very tough challenges at this point. You have some very, well, I think some of these teams are in front of Barcelona in La Liga. They're going to have a hard time being consistent. Rayo Vallecano has been a great story this year, but they're going to, they're not going to be able to stay in the, in the top six even right now. Sociedad, like just as a tradition of starting strong. And then, so there's going to be opportunities to climb the table and get into the top four. This is not an impossible challenge. It's not an easy challenge. It's going to be difficult. And, you know, winning any tournament in a knockout, whether it's Europa or anything else, that's going to challenge you. And let's be honest, Barcelona, the last five years have been really bad in that format. Um, moving on. So both are going to be really challenging. There's absolutely no guarantees. Um, but it's very clear what the objectives are right now. I think when Chavi said this is the new era, this is the beginning of new era. This is also the beginning of the new season. When he walked into a super hard. He had to try to dig out of this Champions League hole and at the same time had some tough games in La Liga. But now he knows like what in his first season his objectives are and what he has to do. These are tough things. It could be one. It could be the other. It kind of has to be both at the same time because you you can't miss Champions League next year. It would be a huge disappointment. And that to me very clearly is what Xavi and these guys have to do and then buy themselves time next summer to really think about what the club, the team's going to look like going into next year where hopefully, you know, they can get back into the swing of things and being at the at top level European football. Yeah, and I think, I mean, based off his quotes, right, like it seems like, and I guess I don't really know what I what else I expect a manager to say, but he emphasized winning the Europa League. And so it doesn't seem like there's going to be some sort of, they're going to mail it in just so they can compete in the league. Like it seems like they're going to try for both. And, you know, that might work out. Like maybe they'll be able to win Europa League and that's their Champions League qualification. But if not, like maybe they'll stretch themselves too far. <laughs> and I don't know. It scares me. Um, let's talk about the transfer window. Uh, two of the names that have been popping up, I'm going to ask you which one you prefer, Edison Cavani or Ferran Torres? Cavani. Really? Yeah, we, I think we need a number. Well, I don't know. 
I think I assume that Cavani is going to come cheaper and then like a smaller contract and Torres is like an investment. In between the two, right now, going in, in the January transfer window, I think they'll make a big splash next summer with someone like bigger. And you might want to buy some time for that. I just haven't seen enough of Torres. It's a couple of impressive games for the Spanish national team. For me, next to nothing with Manchester City. And Pep, you know, is, hasn't really given him too many opportunities. I think a goal scoring number nine, he'll come in right away, Cavani. And what we're seeing is these guys, these number nines, they, they're getting older, but they can still contribute at a high level. They need a goal scorer. And I think if you had Cavani in there right away, you could have Memphis on the left or on Tupati, depending on who's healthy, and Dembele. And have kind of a rotation there. Braithwaite can come in too when he's healthy. But I think that plugs the bigger need in January. And honestly, I'm just not sold at all on Ferran Torres. I don't know what everyone sees about him. But maybe that's a personal thing with me. Any more time. I'm surprised. Like The only reason it surprised me is because I think long-term Torres is better. But I think you're right. I think the... Um, the immediate addition of someone like Cavani, who is a menace in the box, would be so transformative for this team and allow them to like it would allow I think Depay to play obviously more free, um, and I think when you allow Depay to play more free, that creates more opportunity for Dembele and Fati when they're on the wing. And so yeah, I, I actually agree with you. Um, Cavani would probably uh-huh. be cheaper, like you said, and I think just having having like a very traditional front three would be nice for once because we haven't had that recently. Just two natural goal scorers, Fati and Cavani, in the field at the same time. That could be really nice to see. Oh, yeah. that just reminded me again, just like for some reason, how under Chavi's reign here, they've scored so few goals. And that's, they, they need a, someone who can put the ball in the net. And that to me is Cavani. Yeah. Between um, the two. Okay. So, kind of wrapping up, um, I want to get your feel for just like Europe in general, right? What are your favorite teams to watch in the world right now and just to give you a second to think about it i'll give you my three it's pretty much definitively uh byron chelsea and liverpool um i think i love watching how each all three of them handle maintaining possession uh i love the uniqueness of their attacks like i think liverpool is a more reminds me of like old era barcelona levels of attack versus the byron and chelsea kind of slow build-up ways of attack but those are kind of my three favorite teams right now uh i pretty much just like carve out anything to watch those three teams what are your some like what are your favorite sides to watch in europe right now and you can't say barcelona yeah definitely not barcelona i would say i mean i'm a a big premier league fan i follow it very closely so and just for the sake of the conversation maybe the top three right now in the premier league so throw in man city and I would take out Bayern, even though they are very impressive to watch, especially in Europe, um, because you have three different managers who are at the top of their game, but all so good and so different about what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, so if someone just wants to like appreciate modern football, I think you see three different versions of how it can be successful with Tuchel and Guardiola and Klopp. And now you bring in like, oh God, watching the Premier League is just so fascinating these days because of the top managers. At the end of the day, what I will say is, it's all about managers these days. And that's what Barcelona needs to understand. Um, so maybe give Travi some time. But uh, to me, I would say number one is still Manchester City. Because like even when he fails, Pep Guardiola is just a mastermind. He's fascinating to watch. He revolutionizes the game. Not just 10 years ago with the Barcelona team, but he continues to do it and to adapt and to find ways to be successful. Um, and he's taking these players who you look at every single player in Manchester. So you talk about how like, could the reserves be like the first team? He, the reserves of Manchester City, because they're so well coached, come in and they look like the best players in the world. And I think that's very impressive. I'm so, I'm so glad you said City because I kind of wanted to, I wanted to chat about them for a second. 
I am the exact opposite of you. I hate watching Manchester City. And I I I find I, I've had to just because they've had big matches this year, right? Like their matches against PSG, uh, their match against Chelsea. Um, I for some reason and then their match against United. I, I hate watching Manchester City this year because for some reason they just drive me nuts because I know exactly what I'm gonna get. They're mm-hmm. going to be technically beautiful. I am so frustrated. Like I always text my buddy who's a City fan, and I just like we talk about how frustrating it is that they just have no traditional number nine, and how they play all these balls in the box to like these like five nine Portuguese players, and it's just I don't know for some reason I, I just I can't stand watching them. It just drives me nuts. Yeah, if they have some kind of coup and get a real number nine, like if they get Holland or some somehow or one of these like really top it's players, <laughs> Harry Kane. Oh my God, that's just going to be like total domination. Well, just for the sake of this season too, and throwing in a wild card for teams that aren't like in the top. I mean, I think West Ham you have to pay attention to because once again, just totally overachieving. I think Wolves is actually a lot of fun to watch this year because they're so offensive. They have this like in the name of their manager, but I've been trying, I've been tuning in to all of their games just to see a team that like leads last year. I always like to see the teams that are, you know, not built to be like a contender, but still go at it with like very direct football. I think that's exciting. I think Wolves are one of the teams this year that's doing it pretty well. And you you, you talked about West Ham, so that's one of the teams that um, Arsenal might have to play in the Europa League. And I'm going to be honest with you, I uh, I have no idea how the Europa League draw works. So I know that I think the I runners- just read it this morning. Yeah, I'm I'm literally yeah. looking at it right now. I think the runners up in the oh. groups play the Champions League third place teams. Is that kind of cor- is, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So second place Europa versus third place. In okay, the so Barcelona will yeah. pro- will I think get Galatasaray or Lazio from what I'm reading. If, well, if that's... Lazio has been a tricky team. Okay, so I, I'm I'm saying that I don't actually know if they play the same group letter. I think it's a draw, or I think it's like a a pot draw again. So they might get. Any of these teams that might finish second place? Yeah, and in sport, they had a a list of like six or seven teams that are possible to get in the draw. I think PSV was in there. Um, Rangers was in there. Yeah. So teams that Barcelona should beat, right? Like there could be, all of these are tricky. These are not bad teams. Lazio is eight right now in Syria, but they've been really good recently. In recent years, very offensive. Um, So none of these, even that first round, you know, the first one is on top of their game. And I, I, I think they're all like two legs. These could be all tricky matchups. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's really all I got. Do you have any other parting thoughts you wanted to chat about? I just think that, you know, right now, um, we got to this point with, uh, with Chavi very early on where he went for it. I, I still think that we need to back the manager 100% Chavi. I really like the things he was saying after the game. His attitude is correct. He has to find out if these players like why, what it is about them that they can't, um, you know, make things happen. But this really is the beginning of the season, of what this season really means right now. So we got to recalibrate, rethink things. There's new goals. Um, and at the very least, it's kind of a, a burden off of our shoulders to like it happened. And now it's going to be Europa and it's going to be really competing hard to, to qualify in the top four. And it's going to be interesting to watch, but um, they're thick and thin. Gotta keep supporting the club. That's right. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Barca Blogranas podcast. Be sure to subscribe if you are not subscribed. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the places to get your podcast. Be sure to check out Nick's work on BarcaBlogranas.com. 
wrote a piece recently about Chavi's project while taking time and patience, like he's mentioned on the podcast. And Nick, thank you for joining us. Thank you.